Good morning. It's Thursday. Join us on Facebook Live if you can. We're up and rolling because it's time right now to say hi and good day to our friend Steve Vines. How are you? Good morning. Good morning. Uh, that's as that's as jolly as you're going to get for I was the next that. few minutes. I was absolutely <laughs> thinking that. Good to welcome you back. It's been really fun getting your comments on our Facebook feed. Stick it in, immediate response. But you, of course, can always uh, email morningbrew at rthk.hk. What have you got? I think the listener should be able to send a letter in. A letter. Telex, in fact. A telex, yes. <laughs> it might just get here a bit quicker. Yeah. What's on your list today? Well, let's start with um, something that, that received, I thought, staggeringly little publicity. Although it is indeed the subject that you hear talked about in every nook and cranny of Hong Kong, oh, which yeah. is the subject of immigration. Yeah. I mean, I don't know of any families who have the means to immigrate who haven't been discussing it. That doesn't mean they'll go. Most certainly doesn't mean that. But it is a subject for discussion. There's been this new opinion poll by the... Hong Kong Opinion Poll People. Research Organization, yep. which came out earlier in the week, got practically no publicity. But but what it showed was, is very staggering, is that 20% of the respondents to this poll were contemplating emigrating. I mean, let's put that in numbers. That's at least 1.5 million people. Hmm. That's staggering by any, any sense of the imagination. If it was half that number, which, you know, I mean, these opinion polls are opinion polls. We don't need to get too excited about, you know, their precision. But say it was half that number, that's still 750,000 people. That's a hell of a lot of people are thinking of going. According to this poll... Do you think it means thinking of going or they have discussed it and said, what do you think? No, thinking of going. They're they're, they're thinking of departing. There's a a bigger percentage who who have been contemplating it but have reached no decision. But of the people who are thinking of going, 45%, that's almost, say that they they think they'll be out of this place within two years. Now, you know, immigration is an enormous decision. I mean, people just airily say, oh, yes, I think those people immigrate. This is no small thing. Mm. You shift your entire life to another country. If you've got a family, it means you've got to find schools for the children. I mean, you know, everybody listening to this understands that these these are not small decisions and they affect livelihood, they affect um, the culture of the society, they affect language, they affect many, many things. But why is it now that um, what we are seeing is an even greater interest and propensity towards immigration than we saw in the last big wave. And the last big wave, if people's memories are not too short, came after the signing of the Joint Declaration in 1984, when people were very uneasy, very concerned about what turn to um, Chinese sovereignty would mean. I thought a lot of people cleared off in 97, perhaps came back after, I don't know. No, I think, well, no, no, I think that was the point, that they cleared off before. Right. They cleared off when there was the uncertainty. Then, exactly as you say, a large number of those people, particularly I understand people who went to Canada, came back, they said, oh, they found Canada a bit boring, (laughs) they um, couldn't get jobs there, etc., etc. But two things happened which need commenting on. One is that a lot of people came back, or sorry, a lot of families came back, leaving their children behind because the children got quite rapidly integrated into Canadian society right. and they were less inclined 
to come back to Hong Kong with their parents. That was one thing. The other thing is every single person who returned to Hong Kong, and there were a lot of them, came back with a foreign passport tucked firmly in their back pocket, a form of insurance. Mm. Now, it may well be that the enormous fears and uncertainty over the national security law, but it's not, of course, just the national security law, it's the growing day-by-day blow to various aspects of Hong Kong liberty. It may be that that what people are really looking for is a form of insurance, an escape hatch that they can disappear under should it be necessary. You know, I, I don't know. I'm not convinced that anybody has a scientific answer to quantify how many people that involves. My hunch is it's a hell of a lot. And what this means is Hong Kong is going to lose some of the brightest and the best of its people. It's going to see a lot of outpouring of talent. It's going to see entrepreneurial spirit leaving Hong Kong shores and going somewhere else. I mean, these are big, big consequences, which I think have been underrated. People speak about immigration and say, oh, yeah, immigration, it's always there. Well, you know, in most societies, the number of people who wish to emigrate is really tiny, really tiny, compared to the number of people who just say, you know, this is where I live, I'm going to stay here. The only exceptions are where there is enormous civil unrest, possibly a civil war, there are famines, there are other natural disasters. I mean, the extraordinary thing is, in Hong Kong, we have none of those. Steve, I've got a message here from Diego, who joins us on Facebook with an interesting take. Uh, Backing up your point, really, Diego says, my wife, a former employee of the Hong Kong Hospital Authority, has told me that eight former colleagues who are are in the final plans of emigration. He said, it seems a lot to me. Final plans, so not just chatting about it. Yes, I know. I mean, I, you, you know, I, I live in a world where I, I suppose you could say it's, it's a pretty typical middle class world in Hong Kong. So I, I live in a world where I'm surrounded by people who actually have the means to go. Hmm. There's a lot of people in Hong Kong who, who, who can't go. I don't know whether they want to go or not. But the fact of the matter is the option of immigration does for them. Hmm. But, you know, among people like um, Diego's wife's colleagues, you know, they, they, they're in a, a high demand profession. Mm. Most medical professions are high demand in, in practically everywhere in the world. So, you know, they have a transferable skill and they, I think, to much to Hong Kong's detriment, will lose it. And the point I really wanted to make was that unlike a famine or a civil war, yeah. Hong Kong is going to lose some of its brightest and best through a self-inflicted wound. There was no need to do what's happening in Hong Kong at the moment. Alvin just pops up. He says, we do face an ongoing disaster here in the 852. Stupidity, he says. You know, animals that do crazy things to their own nests and houses and stuff. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, to me, it's it's an unravelling tragedy. I I know that there's a, a significant number of people who are bitterly opposed to the government, who who believe that, that their role in life is to stand up to them, who will not go. They say, you know, if you want to make a better society in Hong Kong, you've got to stay here and fight for it. I'll tell you what, Steve, Nigel's written to us and he takes us on to a topic from this very well that you, you might like to comment on. Nigel says... 
Not surprising that people are looking for cheaper food overseas, given the price of cabbage in Park and Rob. Well, that's interesting. You should mention that, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> it is. Uh, the, these are the people <laughs> we're, we're segueing. I believe that's I what it's called. Thanks, isn't it? It's called a segue. I've, gig. I've heard about them. <laughs> I thought they were a bicycle, but anyway. Um, <laughs> the the um, Park and Rob and the unwelcome um, uh, duopoly are going to be given hundreds of millions of taxpayers' money again mm. because the poor dears have had to suffer this enormous, oh, increase in business as a result of the pandemic. I mean, that makes a lot of sense to me, that the, the two big monopoly companies who've made a hell of a lot of money out of this pandemic are going to receive public subsidies. I mean, it is so absurd that even the the ticket collectors who... who you know, posture as being government officials have noticed there's something wrong. So they went, oh, oh, oh dear, oh dear, that doesn't sound right to me. So they've said, oh, you've got to give out coupons, you to do this, that, and that, to make it look not bad. So they've struck a deal, mm -hmm. and it's a great deal. I mean, these people are world-class negotiators. So they've struck a deal where the two oligopoly oligopolist yeah. supermarket <laughs> chains can launch an enormous propaganda campaign at public expense. Yep. Um, last last round, Unwelcome was given a total of $400 million and uh, a, a company which name is very similar to Park and Roll got a mere $120 million. This time round, they're going to give out coupons. They're going to perhaps make some food less ludicrously expensive than it was before. It is up In there, other words, it? Goodness me. actually, this is what they do anyway. This is part <laughs> of their normal promotional activity. The big difference now is they've got a government subsidy to do it. So those boys over at the, I don't know who actually is, who's handling this. Is it the Home Affairs Department or is it the numpties at Food and Environment and Unhygiene and whatever department? I don't know. But whichever numpty is in, in charge of this has, has brilliantly succeeded in finding yet another way to pay money to people who I, I can't see any possible justification for paying them a single cent. Let hey, listen, I mean, we're getting oh, some cracking good. comments this morning, it's Steve. It's our money, so, you know. Well, it is indeed. Everybody's on the ball. Alvin says, who'd have thought that once a world-class city now have their citizens collecting food stamps? Essentially, Alvin, yeah. Well, in a world-class city, you shouldn't have 20% of the population living below the poverty line. That's that's the shame that is Hong Kong. You shouldn't have 40% of old-age people, people above the age of 65, mm. living below the poverty line. This is the real shame of Hong Kong. Yet money is always found for property developers, for the big corporations. You know, they're, they're, they're sitting there salivating at the idea that they're soon going to get their hands on literally billions of um, profit-making opportunities in the so-called Lantau Tomorrow Scheme. Mm. We, the taxpayers, will pay for the infrastructure. They, the property developers, will reap, will reap the benefit. But hey, you know, my, my charity called Help the Property Developers is, is, 
is attracting support from throughout the land. I want to stay with this subject of food stamps, as Alvin says. Um, irony, anyone, he also adds. I want to stay with it. Supermarkets, food, people who can't afford to pay attention. Goodness me, much less get down to park and shop for whatever. But I do want to sidetrack just for a second. Quickie here from Drake. He says, ah, where is the end of the queue to Exodus? It so happens that I'm planning to be gone in two years too. I thought, why do I fund this totalitarianism? I would happily vow to thee some other country. Thank you. That's from Drake. Well, I'm, I'm sorry to hear. I'm, I'm always sorry to hear that people are going. I mean, it's not my personal intention, but, you know, I'm like many people who live here. I'm an enormously pro-Hong Kong person. Oh, yes. And and the exodus of people, it just gives me no pleasure I can't whatsoever. See, I can't see the logic in it, Steve, as you've said in great detail. I mean, all the wonderful things that are happening here, and yet people are splitting because they have to. Let's say hello to Steve, number two, who says emigration versus yeah, OK. Versus immigration. All of Steve's comments on the outpouring of Hong Kong talent are absolutely a possibility. And so is the immigration of millions from the mainland talents and workers waiting in the winds. Steve says, don't you think the CCP is standing there laughing in their socks off? Uh, job done, he says. Well, actually, this is an enormously <coughs> important point. I'm very glad that somebody called Steve has raised it. <laughs> We've got um, another one, too, in a minute. <laughs> but, but you know, the, 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 the whole tendency of the way that the Communist Party operates is where they have a troublesome region is to fill it up with people from other places within China. Therefore, for example, in Xinjiang, there is now a Han Chinese majority yeah. in an area that was a uh, Uyghur majority. In Tibet, which had a Tibetan majority, mm -hmm. the, the, the keys in the name there, um, there is now a Han Chinese majority in Macau, which has, has proved to be the good son as opposed to the, the unruly son that, that Hong Kong has become. There is, again, a majority of people living there from the mainland. So I think it is a very much integral part of the party's policy mm. is where so-called autonomy is granted. And remember, Xinjiang, Tibet, and the other five so-called autonomous regions are actually supposed to be autonomous. It, again, it's in their title. Yeah. They have all been filled with people, Han Chinese, from other parts of the nation. So if the destiny of Hong Kong is to be, is to be which increasingly it seems likely, another Chinese city, not necessarily populated by Hong Kongers, blimey. Steve, number three, and Tommy. Good morning, Tommy. Great message from you. We're on Facebook Live. Morning Brew is the page if you want to chuck a message up there or morningbrew at rthk.hk. So Steve, three, says, looks like Lantau will have a bit more land now that the government is taking back that Disneyland property option. Hold fire. Uh, and Tommy says, Hong Kong has been my home since 1977 and I have no intention of leaving. He says, but at the rate things are going, I may be left with no choice at some stage. Well, I, again, I'm, I'm sorry to hear this. I mean, somebody who's lived here since 1977 is obviously very heavily yeah, invested Tommy. in Hong Kong. Give us some more, Tommy, if you want to share some more stuff, because it's fascinating. You've been here a long time, man. Been here a long time, and uh, I don't know what he's been doing here. But, you know, the fact of the matter is that someone who's who's lived in Hong Kong for coming up to what would that be, five decades, yeah, is heavily invested here. That that. At this stage in the proceedings, the situation is so bad that 
he is now giving consideration to leaving. Well, he said might have to, basically. Yeah, yeah. It's pause for thought, is it not? It absolutely is. What about... Do we we want to talk about... um, (laughs) We're we're, we're verging again with another of those segue things to one of my favourite topics. Well, you've got two minutes before the news, so you you sort it out. Do what you like. (laughs) I'll do it very quickly. The lamentable disaster, which is called Disney... I mean, the government has now officially declared that they're going to take away the the bit of Penny's Bay that was reserved for Disney um, to expand so that effectively it will remain the world's smallest um, Disney theme park. So they're saying you you, you can remain alive, but frankly, you know, it's never going to work. It hasn't worked from day one. It was a stupid idea. And now the government is saying... Instead of saying, uh, we made a mistake, they're going, ooh, I'll tell you what, let's kill it slowly. Oh, it's, it's quite a solution. I mean, I don't know which genius came up uh, with there's it. There's always, the always going to be a, there's always a reason somewhere. Listen, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Let me just give you this before we go to the news, and we can do it afterwards. Uh, Steve H is okay. back. He said, even though I'm a long-term PR who loves Hong Kong, considers it my home, but with increasing US-China tensions, I'm nervous that Americans, he is one, will become persona non grata in the not-too-distant future. And Julian says civil servants having to pledge loyalty through the new oath-taking is just the tip of the iceberg. So that actually gives you plenty, I think, to deal with after the news, Steve. Um, oath-taking, is that anything that's on your radar? It is. I mean, the, 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 do you remember that, that when they first talked about it, they said, oh, well, you know, um, it, it's just a technicality. It only applies to new civil servants. Well, like every single piece of mendacity... Yeah. that comes out of those ticket collectors' lips. Ticket. This one has turned out to be yet another one. Right. It applies to all I'm gonna I'm going to green screen you for a couple of minutes so you can put your underpants on or whatever. Steve Vines oh. will be to get in touch. Morningbrewerrthk.hk or do find us on Facebook Live. Let's do the... Okay, Steve, take it away. Lots of uh, gr- grist for your mill. Get on with it. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's flowing, everything is flowing thick and fast, is it not? I, I, I know that um, Backchat this morning had a long discussion about this new um, registration system for the media. And um, I, I'm sure they have very able people on, they covered it, but it, it happens to be a subject that interests me, having been a hack for so long. Yeah. What? what? What among the many things that, 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 that strikes me about this is that, in fact, a central register of journalists, which is what this is, is something that was explicitly promised not to happen by the chief executive in name only, only 12 months ago. I'll give you her precise words. She said there is no intention of the government doing this. And in that sense, she was right because the government wasn't involved. This was the police. Now we have an autonomous police force that makes policy on behalf of the government. So if anybody thinks that these new regulations of who are going to be recognized as bona fide journalists Mm. and will be eligible to be on this mystical register will only apply to police matters, they are living in somewhere called cloud cuckoo land. 
as night follows day, and there's no scintilla of a doubt about this, as night follows day, the government as a whole will 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 timorously follow in the big footsteps um, left by the police force. So coverage of um, official or public events, whatever you want to call it, will now be limited to those who are on the register. What about the overseas boys, the big timers, the New York this, the London that? I mean, I've no idea well, what their plans are. Here's an idea. Here's the thing. In this statement from the force, and remember, they didn't consult with any media organisations because why should they? They are the great experts in media matters. They said that they will only recognise what they called um, internationally known media. Now, I know that the police force are the main experts in Hong Kong on who is internationally known media. I'm sure that if you ask any policeman, they could tell you what the leading paper in Ecuador was, or maybe they could tell you, you know, which is the leading radio station in Guatemala. I'm very sure that that's the sort of thing that they've got at their fingertips. But this is just like the national security law. It's ambiguous. You say internationally known media, that's the only media we'll recognise. And you say, well, what does that mean? And they say, we'll tell you when, we, when we're ready. When the I time mean, is right. this is the way that police states operate. They don't have specific rules. They don't have a transparent uh, regulatory system. They just say, it will apply to you when we tell you it will apply to you. Yeah. And there's another problem here, which is to do with the state of the media today, which is very few major, let alone minor, media organisations around the world can afford to have full-time correspondents in every nook and cranny, and that would include Hong Kong. So most of the people who work for the international media in one way or another as photographers or as reporters are freelance. What happens to them? I mean, you know, this is all becoming a nightmare, but it's a nightmare which has been resolved on the mainland. And goodness only knows whether it be resolved in the same way here. On the mainland, unless you have uh, an official recognition of your status as a journalist issued by the state, which incidentally can be taken away at any time, it's mm. always the threat, is always there, we will withdraw your accreditation. Unless you have that, you are not allowed to report. Why do they do that? It's not a mystery. It's because they want to control the media. I mean, these things are not shrouded in some unknown mist of uncertainty. Tried and the tested mist is as well, clear. actually. Tried and tested. Um, you, you, you see in, in Belarus, incidentally, it's very interesting that the Hong Kong government and, and all the, the quizlings who are sort of clucking around supporting it, they scour the world for examples of worst practice. And then they go, you see, see, they do that in Belarus, so we can do it here. But in Belarus, what we've seen, where there is enormous civil unrest, there is enormous, enormous protest against the regime, that they have, again, they've imposed exactly this system, mm. have expelled practically all of the foreign correspondents who are based there and are putting in jail local reporters who they say are not reporters because we haven't, we haven't regarded you as reporters. So, you know, wherever there is a problem, the first instinct of an authoritarian government is to control the source of information 
That's how they work. It's not a mystery. All right, let's get a couple more messages from our listeners here. A few subjects Steve's covered this morning, so forgive me if I dodge around a bit. Tony Lamb, good morning, mate. He says the grass is not greener on the other side. All countries have their own problems everywhere in the world. Unemployment is going up. You think you'd be welcome in another country if there's no work for their own citizens? And um, Tommy comes back when well, Nigel makes a comment about assimilation with a question mark. Tommy comes back and he says, I'm working at a university. I'm hoping to retire soon. I also own a small business and my wife is running. It will be hard to move the business elsewhere. I'll hang on as long as I can. In other words, until I find myself banished with all the Steves in the same literal boat. <laughs> with all the Steves. It's <laughs> a great name. Yeah. <laughs> Can, can, can we just address the, the first email that, that, Tony. that, that, that uh, you, you read out? Because, yeah. I mean, this is an obvious and indeed an interesting point. You know, the grass isn't necessarily greener on the other side. Um, people who decide to immigrate are taking an enormous gamble. It's always been the case, even in, in much more peaceful times. The idea to um, locate yourself to a to another country. I mean, I, I know from my own family experience, my grandparents came to England, they didn't have a penny, literally did not have a penny in their pocket. Yeah. And they had a very, very tough time. Fortunately, by the time of my father's generation, they were able to start, you know, moving out of poverty. But it was a long period of very, very hard slog. In their case, they had no alternative. They weren't going to go back to... Um, where they came from yeah. but what's interesting in britain uh, with this new um scheme for bno holders which potentially as we know would allow entry to the united kingdom where are we with that do you know I'll just, I'll just say it's, it's a path to citizenship for over three million people right there, there's been some polling done in britain and remember britain is a country which has a very very long and torturous um, history with immigration. Recent polling, which comes from uh, the largest polling organisations in Britain, shows a significant majority of people welcoming people from Hong Kong. Yeah, no. Normally, when you ask people, yeah. do you favour greater immigration to the United Kingdom, you get a very negative answer indeed. I was very surprised by these recent polls from YouGov, particularly coming out of Britain, which showed a decisive uh, majority favoring this immigration. I don't for one moment think 3 million people are going to go from Hong Kong to Britain, but you know, if it's even a, you know, a fifth of that number, that's a hell of a lot of people. And apparently they're gonna be welcome. Well, let's see if that actually happens. We don't know that for a fact. Just a couple of things you said over the past few minutes, talking about your your grandparents, your family. Well, it's just like squillions of grandparents right here in Hong Kong as well, isn't it? That story of having absolutely, absolutely nothing, da, 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 da. and here we are, and look what's happening now. And I wonder, just to spend a couple of minutes in the head of one of these old guys. It's, it's the history of immigration wherever you go, is that the first generation arrive usually penniless, not always by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, in Hong Kong, you had rich Shanghainese coming in. They, they, they certainly were not lacking a bob or two. But normally speaking, it's penniless immigrants who work their yeah. socks off. Um, and they often can't speak the language. That wasn't the case in Hong Kong because most of them were Cantonese speaking. Yeah. But 
again, I know from my family that my grandparents had great difficulty with English, but, you know, my father's generation, it's they were off. brought up there. They, they, I've still got great difficulty <laughs> with English, but, you know, they, they instantly became bilingual. They didn't have to learn it. That's sure. another great advantage of children of immigrants is they become bilingual effortlessly because they get brought up in two languages. And they assimilate very quickly. And they inherit some of that work ethic from their parents. I still think the first generation of immigrants is always, almost always, the heroes because they struggle through enormous adversity and they do so to provide for their families. They themselves don't, frankly, expect that they will, you, you know, they'll, they'll be living in, in, in clover for, for their lives. But they're very determined to make sure that, that their children will and their grandchildren will. I mean, it's an enormous thing. And as we know, the most dynamic societies in the world are societies which are built on immigrant populations. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, I, I give the United States as an example. Okay. I think it's a pretty good one. Yeah, very People, good. You know. One more, that's, I think, that's Steve. How America was uh, built, indeed, it was. Uh, one more, I think. And uh, thanks for your messages so far. Still up there, Morning Brew. That's the page. And love to hear from you, uh, Tony and and Tommy. Really nice to hear a bit of your, you know, your personal stories. Thanks for sharing that with us. One more, Steve. Sure. Should we just talk about um, the very heartfelt pleas by the mother of um, Pun Hoi Wing? She was the Hong Konger, the young Hong Konger who was murdered in Taiwan, um, allegedly by, well, in fact, he's admitted it by Chan Tong Kai, mm. who, whose case allegedly started this whole uh, um, farrago over the extradition law, with Carrie Lam claiming that it was extremely urgent to give comfort to the parents of Ms. Poon so that um, they, even though she'd been murdered, they would have the satisfaction of seeing justice done. It wasn't done because there wasn't an extradition agreement. Therefore, we had to have this bill. All, all of that. Now we hear from the same old CNO chief executive in name only, oh, that Poon family, they've really got to let this go, you know. No, I don't, I don't, I don't like the way they keep hammering on about it. Um, and what is the fact of the matter is that Chan Tong Kai is walking around a free man. He is indeed. He, he, he admits to having committed this um, murder and he says he's willing to go back to, to Taiwan. Well, I don't know whether that's true or not, but this is what's been reported. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, all of the things that we were told as being the basis for the urgency and the need for this extradition bill, which has now been shelved, turn out to be dust. Love your work. I'll talk to you again next week. Steve Vines, thanks very much as always for joining us and thank you to you for your messages and emails this morning. Much appreciated.